0: Welcome to
1: Kvetching on the Couch, a podcast where we host a weekly conversation about mental health topics through a Jewish lens.
0: In today's episode, The Case for Jewish Indigeneity, we will be Kvetching with a special guest, Lonnie McKeel, about our trip to Tel Aviv, Israel for a conference called Jews Talk Justice and the feelings that arose while there about connection to the land and indigeneity. Ash and I attended this conference throughout this past week, hence why our episode is later than usual. We think you'll really appreciate Lonnie's perspective and can't wait for you all to meet her.
1: Just a reminder that this podcast will always contain a content warning as the topics we discuss may be triggering. So please be cognizant of your well-being and take breaks if you need them. And please also remember that
0: this podcast does not take the place of medical or mental health care from a clinician or provider. Please reach out to professionals if you need support. And let's roll the intro.
1: since i've heard that and like i'm remembering why i like it so much okay (laughs) hi there (laughs) i'm ash She pronouns and i'm an eating disorder and trauma therapist specializing in the jewish community and weight stigma i have lived experience of an eating disorder and childhood trauma and i do community advocacy work for the jewish community and fat positivity
0: And I'm Laura Plauker. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a mental health and suicide prevention advisor to high schools with a professional background in special education and equity work. My personal background is in fighting anti-Semitism, advocating for fat and body liberation, and eating disorder and addiction recovery through the lens of my personal experience. So let's dive in. It has been a big, long week. Ash, how are you doing? Uh
1: I'm doing all right. Um, As we were talking um, before we hopped on, as I mentioned, I'm sick. Pretty sure I have COVID. So, you know, not great.
0: (laughs) Not great Uh, indeed. I'm sorry. Not
1: great. It's all right. Um, I I avoided it this long. So that feels like an accomplishment (laughs) in and of itself. And I'm triple vaxxed and all that good stuff. So I think it's just going to be a crappy cold. Um, But other than that, I I think I've, I've... you know, beat my jet lag and I'm just really excited to get Lonnie on here and kind of, you know, talk a little bit about the conference, talk a little bit about just like these larger topics that, you know, she covers in her work. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited for you all to meet her and get her perspective. I think she has a lot to say. What about you, Laura?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I am, as I said, really sorry that you're sick. I will be, um, Praying that it's nothing more than a bad cold for you. Um, I, as far as recovering from jet lag, I. Oh, can I just say that? And this is definitely. <laughs> I, mm. as someone who hasn't traveled a lot, I really mm. thought jet lag was kind of a myth. Um, no. I, like, <laughs> I, like I like I didn't experience it. Um, when I my only other international trip prior to this was to England, and I didn't experience. Um, jet lag on the way there or on the way home, nor did I experience jet lag on this flight to Israel. But it has taken me a full 48 hours. I'm finally feeling better today. Um, But I felt that in my bones. So (laughs) um, definitely taken me a minute to get back to my physical being, back to my mind. Um, I have felt really discombobulated these last few days. So Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like now that I'm starting to um, feel a little more present in my body and in soul and mind, I'm starting to reflect on this trip Um, and just I'm thankful that we have this episode when we have it and that we've moved it to this time this week because I um, appreciate the chance to get to process in real time with two other people who um, went through this experience with me.
1: Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Um, you know, originally we um thought we might do it live from Tel Aviv, which of course had, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, fun things about it, but we just didn't have the freaking time like it, we were so overscheduled um and didn't really have an opportunity to decompress and really process through um, you know, mm-hmm. what we had heard because we I mean we listened to so many different speakers. Um So this is definitely going to, I think, serve that purpose uh, because I still don't feel like I've gotten that much time to kind of catch my breath. I don't know about you, Laura.
0: Oh, no, I fully, fully agree. Um, I think it's really just, (laughs) it's interesting because, um, and we'll dive into this a bit, um, but the nature of this conference, all of the other attendees were also people with um, social media platforms who use them um, to stand up for Jews online or are interested in doing so. Um, but I, while I don't personally love to use the term influencer for myself, it was a term that was thrown around a lot this week. So a conference of influencers, if you will. And, um, what was interesting about that, um, a lot of the people there produce content at a much faster rate than I do. So, as I'm not quite at the space of processing everything from this week myself, I'm watching, um, you know, roundup posts and reflection posts and recap reels. And it's amazing that people were able to produce content that quickly. I'm just not even at the place where I would know what
1: to write. So, I'm not there yet. And like I said, just thankful for this space. Yeah, well, and, and speaking of, I, I'm pretty sure Lonnie was posting while we were there. I was like, she, yeah, go you, well. <laughs> <laughs> So, speaking of, um, let's introduce Lonnie. So, Lonnie McKeel is an activist for Indigenous and Jewish communities. Her goal is to elevate Jewish and Indigenous awareness while using her online presence to combat anti Semitism and anti Indigenous racism. Lonnie is also a Lakota, Hidatsa, I hope I said that correctly. Ashkenazi artist and model based in LA. So let's get Lonnie on here and she can join us because I'm sure she's uh, in this, kind of the same headspace as we are. Um, we'll just give her a second.
2: Hello, good morning. Can you hear me?
1: Yes. We can.
2: Good morning, good morning awesome. Lonnie. How are you guys? We're
1: doing all
2: right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, getting over the jet lag myself. Um, <laughs> when I first got home, I came straight to my bed. It was like nine in the morning. And I was like, I'm just going to take a little nap, guys. Oh, no. And I lay down no. and I didn't wake up <laughs> until four o'clock in the afternoon. No, you can't lay down. <laughs> yes, I felt miserably. Oh, no. But it yeah. was the most wonderful nap I've ever had in my life. So
0: <laughs> no, I understand. I was telling Ash before we started recording that I um slept for 12 hours last night and I don't think I've slept for I cannot remember a point in my adult life where I've slept for 12 consecutive hours that's Um, amazing so I just
1: was like wow maybe maybe this was a good thing
2: (laughs) exactly exactly
1: um also just a heads up for everybody as I mentioned I'm sick so if I mute myself it's because I'm either hacking very loudly or blowing my nose so if I (laughs) I disappear for a moment that's what's happening I'm still here Um, i'm listening but i may not be able to talk
2: (laughs) no worries no worries
1: um but yeah so thank you so much for joining us Lonnie. also listeners should know Lonnie is on the um the uh west coast and so she's also three hours ahead of us so she was kind enough to wake up early for us today so thank you for that thank
2: you Um, of course thanks for having me i'm excited yeah
1: so obviously i you know i read out the um the bio that you sent us and of course that you know encompasses a lot of what you are but we also like to give people an opportunity to expand on their bio or you know mention other things that maybe we didn't get to um in that little you know that little blip right because we're not really blips as we learned in the conference right we're not
2: (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah we're not just
1: little blips you know we're we're very full and complex human beings so i'd love to hear you know i guess how you would want to introduce yourself and what people might find interesting about you
2: um, well, I think the, the the blip is a pretty good um, introduction for myself. That's about the way I introduce myself. I, I am mm-hmm. a model. I have also, um, I recently started taking acting classes. And so I'm trying to expand Ooh. my career a little bit in that way. But a large majority of my time is spent um, learning how to you know, raise the voices of the indigenous and Jewish communities. Um, I dedicate a, a large majority of my time to that. I'm very passionate about it. Um, I'm also an artist. And um, that's, that's a pretty good, you know, yeah. short, short bio of, of me.
1: Sure. Do you mind if I ask, because um, I know we obviously we talked a lot during the conference, but I don't think we ever got to hear about your art. What, what kind of art do you do?
2: Oh yeah. Um, I, it's abstract. Um, I work with Very acrylics. Cool. Um, I don't have anything posted online right now. Um, I have been, I started doing art, um, I would say about five, six years ago, maybe. Um, Mm. and it's just been kind of a hobby until recently. I'm like, okay, now I have like 20 canvases piled up in my hallway and I need (laughs) to sell them. (laughs) So let me call myself an artist and, and sell these paintings. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a, a new, um, venture of mine, but I love it. It's something that I started doing as a, as a way to, um, I just needed a a good creative outlet. I was dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety and um in an abusive relationship and this was kind of my way to cope is where, where it started. And so um now that I am in a much healthier place and and um you know just in a in a different place in, in my life and I have the ability to actually Sell the pieces that I've made um, because I didn't back then. So this is something new for me um, that I am learning how to. Um, it's it's still early. My coffee hasn't set in yet. How <laughs> um, oh, you're fine. <laughs> um, yeah, just it's it's a little bit of a learning process. You know, I haven't I haven't posted my art before. I haven't sold my art before. But I have, like I said, about twenty canvases piling up in my hallway waiting Mm. to uh see the light of day
1: (laughs) that's incredible Uh, i love that yeah um as a person that does art myself i i love that and i think that you know the world definitely needs to see it so i'm glad that you have those connections and can make that happen because the art world can be real rough
2: (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) absolutely Um,
1: so uh laura sounded like you wanted to get in there sorry
0: No, you're fine. I was just going to um, thank Lonnie for sharing that piece of herself with us, because like you, Ash, I had not gotten a chance to ask her about it at the conference. So I appreciate that. And I also wanted to draw attention to um, another piece of the ways that the many ways I'm sure that Lonnie is um, creative and that is in her messaging online. Um, For those who are not aware, Lonnie runs a Instagram platform called Indigenous Not Invisible um, that she uses to shine light on the very topics on which we're speaking today. But um, indigeneity, native indigeneity in America, as well as um, more recently, I think, Jewish indigeneity. And Lonnie spends time um, standing up for Jews online as well. And a particular post that you made recently, Lonnie, Um, really resonated with me. And I wanted to um, give you a chance to expand upon it for listeners. This post read, as a Jew, I support land back. And as a Native American, I support Zionism. And I know that you got a lot of pushback on this post oh, um, yeah. <laughs> at the time that you made it. So I wanted to first ask you to expand upon, if you're comfortable, the idea of the land back movement for listeners who might not be familiar, and then um, just expand on upon that post further and your experiences with posting that message online.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, let me pull up so I can read uh, the exact. Um...
1: I do that all the time.
2: I'm like, oh, yeah. Definition <laughs> or. Um, no, I
0: I definitely um, push like, uh, I'll make sure in real time while we're recording that I'm, if I'm
2: giving a definition that I'm referencing <laughs> correctly,
0: I definitely feel that. And I know I sprung
2: that on you. So I apologize. No worries. Um, because, you know, I have, I have the way I define uh, the land back mm-hmm. movement, but there is an actual land back, movement organization, and um, I mm-hmm. want to respect their definition of it, mm-hmm. if I'm going to going to be speaking on it. Of course. Um, so on their website, it says the Land Back Movement is uh, a movement that has existed for generations with a long legacy of organ- organizing and sacrificing um, to get Indigenous lands back into Indigenous hands. Um, mm-hmm. And this is primarily speaking for I know the indigenous communities of North America, primarily the United States, uh, but I believe they are helping uh, indigenous communities across the Western Hemisphere um, from top to bottom, um, from the best of my knowledge. And um, I I know a lot of people with the pushback that I got strongly disagree that there's any relation between Zionism and land back, Um, but... While there are differences, there are a lot of similarities, and they are both um, rooted in supporting indigenous peoples reconnection to their land, um, revival of their cultures or uh, preservation preservation of their cultures and their languages, etc cetera, etc, cetera, and their rights to sovereignty and to exist safely and freely on their ancestral lands
0: mm.
2: and so that is um, that is the connection that i see between the two and of course there are differences um you know zionism from what i recently learned also has significant uh cultural um aspects that i was i was not aware of um if you guys would like to touch on that that would be great because that's something that i'm also still learning about um i mentioned mm-hmm. um one of the young women in the Uh, or at the conference had mentioned that she focuses on the cultural aspect of Zionism. And uh, that's something I just started recently researching. And I'm I'm curious to know, you know, do you guys have any information on that?
1: Well, thank you for bringing that up actually, because I think that cultural Zionism is, is, When you don't know about it, it really allows people to flatten Zionism into, like, Herzl Zionism, for lack of a Mm -hmm. better, you know, phrase or term, which, like, it's not that that doesn't exist. And obviously, you know, the state of Israel as it exists today is a culmination of Herzl's work to some degree or another. Right. And Zionism is as old as the Jewish people. The The yearn to mm-hmm. be on our land, the yearning, yearn, uh, whatever, whatever the <laughs> uh, <laughs> proper phraseology is there, but the yearning to be on our land is something that is so central to Jewish culture. And that's why when, when people, at least for me, why I get very frustrated when people, um, I guess what the word would be, essentialize uh, Zionism to only political Zionism. Because yes. it's not mm-hmm. only a political movement; it's it's very much about land. Yeah. I don't, mm-hmm. anything for.
0: No, I mean I agree. Um, the person that is, I think, most credited with the um, concept of cultural Zionism his name is Asher Ginsburg, um, and uh, oh, there's another name, Ahad Ha'am, um, and there was a confrontation um, between he confronted uh, Theodore Herzl um, and basically said, like, well, there's more to it um, as with regard to what Ash was saying. And this idea of cultural Zionism, um, as it was explained, was that there's a value in creating a Jewish state with its own Jewish culture that doesn't actually have to be tied to religion, it can be a secular Jewish culture, and it can be rooted in history, and that can include language. And I, having, you know, just been in Israel and having extended out the time that I was there an additional week and just exploring and particularly exploring areas of Tel Aviv, including Jaffa, which is a mixed city, um, and other areas that were much less mixed, something I saw was a common thread of this cultural, seemingly secular tie to the land. And prior to um, learning what I know now about Israel, I had very much thought this tie to be purely religious. And while I was coming to my own understanding of faith and what that meant to me, I did not feel as tied to the land. And I went and visited Jerusalem as well, which is obviously a highly contested area in particular within Israel um, when it comes to indigeneity and claim to a land um, and religious claim to a land. And I think something important to note in, as an overarching thread in our conversation here is that I believe none of us are saying that we are, that we being Jews are the only people indigenous to this land. Mm -hmm. Um, We are noting a cultural and historical tie to this land that is, you know, in an interesting contrast, I often see online in the spaces that I am uh, sometimes have forced upon me. I often see, um, the term jewish supremacy gets thrown around a lot which oh is, lord you know, it's not yes. an oxymoron um in and of itself that is a it, that's oxymoronic it just it, it's a contradiction in its purest form um but um i think it is really interesting that that argument is consistently made because while i will stand by a jewish claim to this land i don't think that it's purely rooted in religion. I know that it's not because I have spoken to, I've had the amazing opportunity to speak to so many people who's, who feel this visceral pull to the land from the core of their being that are secular Jews. And Mm -hmm. that needs to be said that it's not, um, it's not about praying at the Kotel for everyone or the Western Wall for people who aren't familiar with the Kotel. But like, that isn't what pulls so many of us to this land, though it was certainly an incredible and profound experience for me. And I think that that needs to be said. And walking around Tel Aviv, which there's a lot of secular Judaism in Tel Aviv. um, And everyone is just so grateful and happy to be there too. Mm
1: -hmm and mm-hmm. lauren lonnie th- this was both of yours first time to israel correct
0: yes so, uh, yeah
1: So i definitely want to hear because this was my second time my first time was birthright and i definitely felt that sort of like visceral spiritual connection to the land the first time i was there um this time i was a little too overwhelmed by the conference i think but i would love to hear what you both have to say in terms of like this being your first experience like what that felt like maybe in your bodies or emotionally. Um, I know it was very overwhelming for me to leave when I left the first time.
2: Yeah. Um, it, you know, we, we did spend a lot of time at the conference and very little outside exploring um, and actually on the land. However, for me, the little bit of walking around that we did, you know, I, I kind of went into into this with the expectation that I would feel, um, you yeah, know, I, I have, you know, anxiety disorder as it is. So I went in expecting to feel very anxious and out of place. Right, and, you know, I, I don't speak Hebrew. I, I am recently reconnecting. There's so much that I don't know. There's so much that I'm learning and I expect it to have all of those things weighing on me. Um, you know, being in Israel and, and, mm-hmm. you know, just, uh, the insecurities of, of, being reconnecting the, the insecurities of feeling like, um, you know, the, the imposter syndrome coming up and things like that. But Mm -hmm. Uh when we got there and we went walking around and the little bit, I was able to interact with, um, you know, some of the locals and, and just the, the area I felt at home, I felt peaceful. It just, Mm -hmm. it just felt like I had, like, it felt like I'd been there a million times. Yeah. And it was a really beautiful sensation to have. Um, it was very calming and very balancing, very grounding, and it's it's a little hard to explain. But it was it was a beautiful yeah. experience. Yeah,
0: thank you for sharing that with us, Lani. Um, and I think I resonate with so much of your experience. That when I was younger, Israel didn't hold. Um, the same significance then for me that it does now. Um, mm-hmm. Largely as I've come to know and learn so much more just mm-hmm. by choice and in engaging more with my family that lives there. And mm-hmm. um, honestly, it was the only one who was keeping me back from me keeping myself back from that experience rather was me. Um, and, Actually, you know what? I won't say that. I think that there was a v- very real pressure um, to be a quote unquote good Jew and denounce yeah. um, Zionism, yes. denounce Israel online. Um, and for a very long time, I wasn't able to see through that. And it I've been trying to get to Israel in adulthood for so long. Um, let me just say that, that I um, was very much halted by my chronic health issues um and had been trying for many many years to get there and be there um with what i now consider to be a much more informed lens um mm-hmm. and i didn't get to have that experience until now and as i said earlier i did come out earlier and i stayed with my family um in jaffa and i in so many ways that was almost more impactful for me than the conference itself, which uh, it, not Probably. in that I didn't, yeah, not in that I didn't learn so much at this conference. I did. And it was a phenomenal experience that I'm grateful to have. And the experience of walking around and engaging with Israelis and engaging with Sabras who had been there their whole lives and engaging with Palestinians and um, and that is an experience I got to have. And, um, I just, for me, all of it before I even got there, before I even landed. And I I know I'm speaking in reverse. I went from conference to the week before the conference to now before I even got there. Um, but I was packing and I realized that it didn't feel like I was going to somewhere that was unfamiliar to me at all. It felt like I was more nervous about the social piece that Lonnie named for yeah. two weeks out than I was about going international travel. new. Yeah. Right. Than I was about international travel in the midst of um, a growing conflict in Europe that right. always I notice a lot of international conflict tends to end up involving Israel. This has been no exception. Um, thinking about that and thinking about packing and thinking about socializing rather than thinking about going to Israel and i noticed almost immediately once i got there a change in the physical experience i was having i noticed that i i an an, an enormous release of pressure like i've never experienced before from my neck and my shoulders and letting go of attention i don't think i knew that in my young Jewish adulthood, I've been walking around ready to be attacked. Like I've been walking around ready to argue. I've been walking around ready to defend myself. I've been walking around, unfortunately I was the um, the victim of antisemitic violence and hate not too long ago, only months ago. And I, I walk around ready for that. And in Israel, I don't. In Israel, the core function of anti-Semitism is different. It's rooted in a fully different thing than it is in the U.S. It's rooted in conflict over the land. It's rooted in this argument for indigeneity. Um It's not rooted in the same Jewish hate as a concept. And I hope this makes sense because I'm not sure that I'm, as I said, a lot of this episode for me processing in real time. Um, but with that, I wasn't afraid of being attacked on the street, and yeah. I have been afraid of being attacked on the street for a very long time, as it turns out. So I noticed that in the way I walked down the street was the first yeah. thing I noticed about. Oh goodness, I really could live here.
1: it's <laughs> something yeah, I've heard a lot actually, like the the function of anti semitism in Israel is just so different than it is in the United States or in Europe. And so the ways in which we feel it on the day to day is different. And that is one of the, the, you know, draws of being there to some degree is, is being able to like put that down and know that like, it's not yours to hold.
0: Yeah. And I just, you know, I acknowledge the very different realities that, israelis and palestinians hold there is real visceral trauma there um that that i can't claim to understand that none of us can claim to understand because we don't live there um and and i think that there is something that's become so um just really come to the forefront for me it's become somewhat apparent this week um has been that there is a real disconnect between um, Israelis and Jews in the diaspora and what each understands about the experience of the other.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely. This is um, the disconnect between, you know, Israelis and Jews in diaspora. Um, I see, I see a lot of similarities between the Jewish community and the, Native community here of the Americas, um, so the the disconnect that I see between is, Israelis and the diaspora Jews is very similar to what I see between what what our community what the Native community calls disconnected or or reconnecting um, or connected natives or those who grew up on the reservations um, very closely with the rest of their community compared to those who grew up um, in, in urban areas or mm-hmm. very far from their entire tribal community. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if diaspora would be the correct word to use since the majority of us are still living within the U S but we are displaced for sure at the very least.
1: Right. Um, mm-hmm.
2: And um the the similarities between our communities is there's just so much there are Mm -hmm. so many commonalities and um it is it is very difficult because I find what tends to happen is I think we unintentionally um invalidate each other um Mm -hmm. about the experiences because our experiences are quite different and what i think what's important for all of us within our communities to understand is it doesn't matter if you're disconnected if you're reconnecting if you're connected if you um grew up in israel if you were born in israel if you um you know grew up in any other place in the world and you're jewish it is still the jewish experience you are it doesn't matter how it doesn't matter how disconnected you are. all of these experiences are the Jewish experience because
1: mm. none of
2: these things happen by choice, and I think we need to make sure that we are offering each other that empathy and and understanding that you know we we may not understand your experience as an israeli, and that's that's perfectly okay. I think that we need to be here to support our relatives, just as our relatives who are supported need to understand that there's a lot that of trauma that we've also experienced and the reconnecting experience in itself is traumatic because you start to learn some of the atrocities that happened to your family members that were hidden. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like a lot of our family doesn't talk about the things that we've experienced. And so those of us who are reconnecting and and just now hearing these stories, Mm you kind of find that you have these um, intergenerational traumas and trauma responses that you find yourself having throughout your life that you don't really completely understand where they come from, but you do recognize that they are trauma responses. And yes, we have also experienced trauma, but these things also, you know, live in our DNA And they're passed Mm -hmm. down through our family and through the memory. Like I know, even with myself, I have, I have flashbacks that I know are not mine. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And then you know, when I hear one of my family's stories, I'm like, I know that story. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know that story. I know that story before you told me that story and these experiences are passed down through our DNA. And um, it, I think the best thing that we can do is, is just have an understanding that our experiences are not a monolith. They're gonna be completely different from one another, yet they are all a part of the Jewish experience or they're all a part of the, the, the native experience um, as a collective. And when we come together mm-hmm. and we offer each other that support and that empathy, it only strengthens our community.
1: Mm, that's so beautiful. wow! Thank you. I just wanna. No. I want to like quote you. It was um, what was it? Fuck! I had it. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that story, but I know that story.
0: Yes, like, yeah, I, I know I, that I story didn't... before you ever told it to me was the line. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that Sasha. that rang in my heart.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's
1: a hard thing for people who don't experience it to understand or to even describe and put words to, I think.
2: Yes, it, mm-hmm. it, it is. Even, even for those who experience it, because you're like, wait, am I crazy? Yeah. <laughs> am I crazy? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's what you were sort of alluding to earlier, Lonnie, of like, you
1: know, we have this stuff in our bodies that we don't even know that's what it is. Like we're experiencing mm-hmm. it and we know it's there because obviously it's affecting us. But mm-hmm. a lot of us don't have like the the contextual understanding to be like, "Oh, that's Jewish trauma, that's my epigenetics that's yes, that's what all of mm-hmm. us is and I think you know obviously, you know labels and words can be limiting in some ways, but I also think that you know in some ways they can be really liberating and and also um. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, supportive, in the sense that it's like, like you were saying, Wani, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not cuckoo, like, I'm not losing my goddamn mind. I'm just <laughs> feeling things that that are a part of me and my history and my people's history, and that's yes. normal and okay. And it's less scary when you can be like, oh, that's what it is.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. When you, when yeah. you, it, I, I've noticed as as I'm reconnecting again, both with um my native side and my jewish side the more i reconnect and the more i allow myself myself to to sit in these feelings and and mm-hmm. and sit with the traumas that are arising and mm-hmm. the memories that are not necessarily mine and the memories that are mine um right. i find so much power yes. in what my personal lineage has overcome for me to exist, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's it's such a beautiful and amazing thing that my ancestors f- fought and survived. And I know that you know many many of our ancestors were were not fortunate enough to survive, and that doesn't that doesn't speak to that doesn't negate their strength or right. their fight, or or any of those things, um, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of luck that goes into our survival as well. Um, yeah. So I don't want anyone to think that, you know, I, I don't want to speak poorly on that. Um, but it it is just so tr- just amazing to me, because when you really start yeah. to hear the actual stories, and the eyewitness accounts, and the survival accounts, and like all these horrific atrocities that have happened to both of our communities for hundreds of years, thousands of years. It is, it is a miracle that we exist and Mm. we should take Mm -hmm. so much pride Mm. and yeah, we should just take so much pride in our existence. Mm.
1: I love all that so much. And, and it really points to, you know, we talk a lot about intergenerational trauma, right? That's sort of where this leg of the conversation began. But mm-hmm. also, there's so much intergenerational strength and resiliency. Yes. Like so much. And of course, we don't want to like lean too heavily on either end, because both deserve the, the time and the space, right? But I think sometimes... Yes we do forget, like, shit, like, we're here. We're, we're here, and that means something. Like, there's something really brilliant about that.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I think, in you know, in summation of everything that's been said that is so beautiful and led by emotion, there was um, a line at the front of the room that was, like, positioned at the front of the room on the uh, Tel Aviv Institute's material. Mm-hmm. That just said being jewish and alive is a miracle yeah mm-hmm. and I, to me that is just the um the perfect summation of everything that's been said here today and it backs the need for this land the need for um a place that jews can call home the only place that jews have been able to safely call home in history mm-hmm. um and we are in The midst of watching something happen. And it doesn't mean that Israel should not, um, it doesn't mean that there's nothing about Israel or decisions by the Israeli government that should be criticized. It means that the need to protect this land is an imperative one. The need to keep this land as a place that Jews from anywhere in the world can return to and I do say return because I mean return because of our indigeneity to the land can come home to is I mean there I I don't I'm like at a loss for words because I just believe so fiercely um, in the need to to stand up for that and stand by that and that that is not exclusive from the need to protect that right for Palestinians as well. Yes. Mm -hmm.
2: Yes. I agree. Um, I think that there is a lot of misinformation, a lot of misunderstanding of the history, the entire history of, um, the the middle east area but also the conflict specifically there is just so much misinformation and misunderstanding um and it's it's sorry what on both both, sides for sure on on both sides yes on both sides um you know it's it's really frustrating when you say jews are indigenous and then you know you get all this backlash about Palestinians are also indigenous. I was like I didn't say. I didn't say they're right.
0: And then, right. then we, when we, you most of us believe that they also are.
2: Yes. Right. And then when you say um you know I also I also stand for Palestinians right to sovereignty and, and existence and and such and such mm-hmm. then you have all another group of people they're not indigenous. And you're like, oh my right. gosh, you guys, <laughs> pro-peace, like we can coexist. Right. There's so much history. Right. There is so much, even with between our communities, there are a lot of commonalities between um, our struggles. struggles. There's a lot of differences, mm-hmm. but you know, we, we, in my eyes, we are relatives. We're
0: cousins. Mm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, agree. I, think- <laughs> Yeah, I think it's important to name that. Of course, there are um, people and groups, and unfortunately, people with a lot of power who have lost yeah. sight of that and who are not pro peace sure. and yeah. um, and to paint a broad stroke of right. all Jews um, and For all, all Israelis. or all Palestinians, absolutely, thank you, Lani, as not being pro-peace and not wanting um, a solution that honors the indigeneity of both and or any groups to this land um, Mm -hmm. is not a fair representation of the feelings of many, if not the majority, Majority. of the people involved. Um, So, you know, I think as I would with any... Um the conversation where we're discussing <laughs> groups that any listener is not a part of, I would urge you to um, prioritize listening to the voices of people involved and living right. the impact of um, messaging that is not pro peace. Um, make sure that you are centering the experiences of people who um, whose survival is dependent on these conversations and the ways that these conversations go and the very real impact that these conversations have for them.
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's one thing that I am not seeing enough of is the voices of the people whose lives actually depend on Mm -hmm. pro-peace or on peace and coexistence. Their voices are not being centered, especially in the conversations in America. Um, And it's, it's wrong. That's the only word I have for it. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we and fully guess, agree.
1: <clears throat> very much so. Um, and I guess one thing I want to say, I'm looking at the time. I know we all want to enjoy our Sunday. Um, <laughs> one thing I want to say is, as we close out is,
2: you know, we.
0: Oh, Ash, I think we lost you. Lonnie, can you hear Ash?
2: Uh, I cannot hear Ash.
0: Okay. Ash, I don't know if you can hear us, but we cannot hear you. So I'm gonna give it a moment to hopefully get you back and if not, I will start to wrap this episode. Okay. Well, since it does not seem Oh,
2: did we did we get no, it that back? Was me? I just said, Oh, oh no. okay. <laughs> um,
0: all right. Well, I am unfortunately going to have to wrap this episode without that insight from Ash, though. I'm sure it was incredibly valuable as Ash's insight always is. Um, yes. but we thank you so much, Lonnie for joining us today. I'm fetching on the couch. I would love for you to take a moment and, um, let everyone know, who is listening, where they can find your work and keep up with you or reach out to you if they are moved to do so.
2: Of course. Yes. Thank you. Um, so my personal Instagram is Lonnie McKeel. If you can see my name on here, it's spelled exactly the same. L-A-N-I-M-E-K-E-E-L. That's my personal Instagram. And then um, I also have the Indigenous Not Invisible, all one word on Instagram, um, where I do most of my work for the indigenous and Jewish communities. All
0: right. And we will make sure that we add that to the show notes as well, Lonnie, so that people can keep up with you on your various platforms. And um, just again, thank you so much for joining us on this call today. You know, I think that this served to help each of us kind of process and debrief what has been such a prevalent theme in the last week and I know touched different parts of your heart and identity. Um, so thank you for sharing all lenses that you hold with us
2: today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me. I hope that we get to do this again because I just, I love you guys. I adore you. Um, I, I, you guys are so wise and intelligent, strong women. And I, I hope that we can do this again honestly from the bottom of my heart. Um, Absolutely. and I want to end and, and leave this by saying that I, I encourage, um, all of, uh, my Jewish relatives, Jewish community to take pride in your indigeneity and reclaim your indigeneity, um, and, and your connection with the land because, You not only have every right to, but the land also needs to know that Mm. you desire that connection.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: Thank you you so much for that, Lonnie. Beautiful.
2: Of course, of course.
1: All right, we'll have a lovely rest of your Sunday, Lonnie, and thank you again so much for joining us. We, of course, would love to have you whenever you want to come on.
2: Awesome. You guys enjoy your Sunday too. Thanks again. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Laura, did you catch what I said? Because then it cut off and I was like, where did everybody go? And then it came back. No, came I did. <laughs>
0: I moved just, moved just towards wrapping. Um, I cool. said that we would have to continue without that insight, but I'm glad to hear that you're back.
1: <laughs> okay. I don't know why that it happened twice today. Um, but no, so what I was saying was that, um, you know, we talk, We we just spent like a solid 40 minutes talking about, you know, Jewish relationship to the land, um, Palestinian relationship to the land, all of these things, right? And not once did we get into sort of like the nitty gritty details of like who was there first, who has a stronger connection, who's, mm. you know, like all these sort of really um, specifics that at the end of the day don't really help anybody. I think right, they're almost
0: um, semantics at this point because we know that more than one group is indi- is indigenous to this land.
1: So at the end of the day like you know there are different definitions of indigeneity and there's like the UN definition there's right. you know the tribal definitions there's and it's like one isn't more right than the other necessarily right and so it's like we have to make space for all of these things and if one group describes their experience one way and I'm not a part of that group I have to honor that and respect that because it's not my community
0: absolutely I I mean I fully fully agree yeah.
1: so that's what I was saying
0: before <laughs> technology crapped out on us <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing that additional insight. I'm glad that we got you back to hear it. And I think with that, you can go ahead and take us out.
1: Awesome. So thank you for joining us today on Convection on the Couch. As a reminder, we use this space to talk about difficult topics. And so it is of the utmost importance that you do at least one thing to take care of yourself today, even if it's just a deep breath.
0: And as always, we hope that this conversation was at the very least validating for those of you listening.
1: Next week, we'll have a very special guest, Ben Freeman, on to talk about Jewish intergenerational trauma. You guys have been asking for this episode, and here it is. We're very excited to catch about it all, especially with such a gifted Holocaust educator.
0: So you can catch that at our regular time, Thursday, March 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as always, tonight's episode will be posted shortly on the show page. Um, and as promised, we'll include um, mommy's various points of contact and social media handles.
1: Yes. And thanks again for conventioning with us today. You can keep up with our work via social media. My handle is Ash Therapy and Lore's is The Healing Happy Cook. All links will be provided in the comment section of the episode once it's posted on the show page. And a big thank you to January Sunshine for all of the music provided in this episode. And the biggest of thank yous to Lonnie and those of you who joined us today. Thank you. beautiful Sunday, everybody. Enjoy the
0: rest of your weekend. Bye for now.